Hey Mariana, I'm in Crooked Tree Wildlife Sanctuary in Belize. There's some, a pair of laughing falcons in the background here. Um, I'm trying to find the Jabiru stork, but not having any luck yet. Hey Jonah, for just a split second there, I thought you were going to say Jabberwocky, but it was Jabiru stork. Welcome to Conservation Chronicles. This is Mariana speaking. As you just heard, Jonah is in Belize currently, birding and exploring. He's actually with Camden, our sometimes contributor. And so in the meantime, I just wanted to record a quick episode. Uh, this will be a shorter one, so you don't have to listen to me talking to myself for an hour. <laughs> in fact, today I am going to respond to our first ever listener email, which we actually received back in mid-December. But with all the craziness and scheduling and highlight episodes, we just hadn't had a chance to share it. So thank you for your patience, Ethan. Ethan sent us an email about zoos in response to our episode on XC2 conservation, which was episode 13. So if you haven't listened to that one, go ahead and do so because this email will make much more sense if you have listened to that episode. And I'm actually going to read the email in its entirety, which I promise I will not be doing for all emails we receive. Should we receive more? Please email us. But this email really demonstrates the double-edged sword of the zoo experience, so I wanted to read the whole thing. So here goes. Hi, Jonah and Mariana. First of all, I really enjoy your podcast. I very much enjoyed hearing your views in the latest episode on XC2 conservation. Zoos are facilities that I have debated with in my head the last few years in regards to ambassador animals, entertainment, and money-making. I grew up 30 minutes from Steve Irwin's Australia Zoo and spent a great deal of weekends there with my family. I fell in love with animals, and as you said children do, I quickly developed empathy and a deep interest in the world of wildlife. Throughout childhood, I wanted to be a zoologist or zookeeper, but ended up becoming a primary school teacher. I vividly remember visiting a different zoo in Australia while I was studying at around 20 years old. I visited a zoo that had a pair of chimpanzees. It was the first time I had seen a great ape in the flesh, and as I approached the metal aviary-like cage, I saw the female, only a meter inside the cage, looking back at me. From staring into her face and eyes, I could just tell that she knew. She knew the situation she was in. It was the most depressing thing I had seen, and I saw captivity in a completely different light. I saw an animal that deserves to be wild and free, and not just because it's a charismatic primate. I think the same with herpetofauna, birds, and marine animals as well. No longer were zoo encounters a special moment like they had been for me. I no longer felt the awe and wonder, and from then, I turned my focus more to wildlife viewing and photography, which I pump a lot of time into now as my primary hobby. I'm grateful to zoos that do contribute to conservation directly and indirectly. However, I still find it difficult to be content with the thousands of captive animals that have to live their entire life confined. I'm in my mid-20s now and haven't been to any zoo or captive facility in a few years. I grapple with the thought of how I will inspire and foster love for the natural world when I eventually have children of my own. Working with children, I can see the awe and wonder in their eyes when we spot the blue-tongued skink that lives outside our classroom. They have an ingrained curiosity with the natural world. Overall, I don't have an answer, and I'm not trying to say zoos are bad. I just find wild encounters a thousand times more special. 
I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts, particularly with the photo with a tiger situation and people who are less able or cannot access wilderness. I very much look forward to listening to more episodes and definitely think you should do an aquarium slash SeaWorld episode. Keep it up. So thank you, Ethan, for your email. We really appreciated it. I guess the first thing I want to say is I really believe that primates, especially the great apes, do not belong on display, let alone in a cage like the one you described. In fact, I wouldn't have minded you sharing the name of that zoo with us so we could actually call them out on air, so to say, because keeping any animal in a cage like that is unethical. And we didn't really touch on private collections that much in our XC2 conservation episode. We did talk about them more in our poaching series. But to me, this kind of quote unquote zoo that you stumbled upon is really just a private collection in disguise. And there is absolutely no contribution going on toward conservation in a compound like that. This is the reason the AZA was created to keep zoos and aquariums accountable for how they're balancing the encounter experience on one end and their conservation efforts and contributions on the other end. Um, and by one end and the other end, I don't mean that they're mutually exclusive because obviously they're not. They're just two sides of the same coin or I don't know if that's the right phrase, but conservation is science-based and should be objective. But putting animals on display speaks to a subjective experience. So there's that balance that every zoo has to be thinking about every day in, in what they're doing and in their practices. And Ethan, as someone who's made eye contact with wild animals, I agree. There's always a particular spark in the eyes of wild animals who are just out there surviving, exchanging energy with their environments and just being present. And I don't necessarily see that spark in the eyes of, of captive wildlife. Um, of course, the context is different and maybe I'm just not looking close enough. The closest zoo to me at the moment in New Mexico is the Albuquerque Zoo, and I haven't been there in a while. Um, I should go soon. Your email really made me think about um, how long it's been since I have actually been to a zoo. I think, I think I'll probably never fully come to terms with how I feel about captive wildlife, which I think is kind of the same situation you're in, Ethan. I think as zoos and aquariums evolve, my feelings toward them also evolve. Obviously, finding a phony zoo like the one you found would challenge anyone's opinion about keeping animals in captivity. And that's okay. It's important that we be challenged over issues like this. It's important for us to ask of any captive wildlife setting, how is this contributing to conservation? How are you contributing to conservation? Sometimes finding that answer actually isn't easy or clear. I think a lot of zoos and aquariums miss a really good opportunity when they don't have like plaques explaining their conservation efforts in front of key enclosures or when their research teams aren't visible to the public. I think I've mentioned before, I worked in education for the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden and spent a lot of time at the zoo. Their conservation research department is called CREW, the Center for Conservation and Research of Endangered Wildlife, and scattered throughout and scattered throughout the zoo are little kiosks for crew, which aren't always actually manned or showing anything. But when they are, zoo visitors get to see that other dimension of a zoo's purpose, the most important purpose a zoo has, which is conservation. 
So uh, I went on a bit of a tangent, but thank you, Ethan, for provoking more thoughts on the issue. We really appreciate it. Jonah wasn't here to respond. Um, I just really wanted to get to this email as soon as possible. But I'm just going to say that he agrees with everything I've just said. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I know if he has anything to add, he will do so when he gets back. And we also definitely do plan on doing a separate episode covering aquariums, as well as a separate one covering SeaWorld, which we have a lot to say about. Um, so thank you. And thanks for being a teacher, Ethan. That's a noble profession. Oh, and I almost forgot. Ethan mentioned photography in his email and sent us a link to his Instagram, which we will include in the episode notes. Um, he does wildlife photography and it's really good. So I encourage you to take a look at it. So today's sustainability tip, it's, it'll be pretty short because John is better at this than I am, but I will say since it is wintertime here in the Northern Hemisphere, the higher your heating bill is, the greater your impact is on the environment. So for your pockets and for your local ecosystems, please winterproof your home and keep the thermostat low. It's okay if it's a little chilly in the house. Sweaters and blankets are comfy cozy. So don't close out quite yet because we have more Jonah in about 30 seconds. Uh, thank you for listening. As usual, if you have questions or comments, you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Conservation Chronicles, or you can email us as Ethan did at conservationchronicles at gmail.com. You can listen to more episodes on whatever podcast platform you use or visit our website at conservationchronicles.podbean.com. Back to Belize. Hey Mariana, it's Jonah. I'm here with Camden. We're about to take a dip in Stan Creek in the middle of Coxcomb Basin Wildlife Sanctuary in Belize. We got toucans and parrots and howler monkeys, jaguar tracks. Um, it's pretty wild down here. I'm probably not going to come back, so um, good luck with the podcast. Mm-hmm.